Welcome to the Financial MD Show. This is the only podcast designed specifically for residents and young physicians to help you become educated on financial planning for physicians and avoid many of the common financial mistakes doctors make. Your hosts, John and Trevor, explore a different topic with each episode. John Salitro is a financial planner and certified financial education instructor. He's been working with young physicians for the better part of a decade and lectures to graduate medical programs around the country. Dr. Trevor Smith is a board-certified ophthalmologist with a full-time practice, and he has learned the ins and outs firsthand, what it takes to make smart financial decisions as a young physician. And now, here's your hosts, John and Trevor. Welcome, everybody, to episode 16 of the Financial MD Show. Here, Trevor and I figured out that something interesting to talk about with residents, fellows that are nearing the end of their training is finding work. And more specifically today, we're going to talk about finding locums work. This can be an extremely lucrative type of work, uh, but has pros and cons in both directions from taxes to scheduling to how do you find the work and how permanent or temporary is the work. Dr. Smith has some recommendations and some experience. So listen up, subscribe on Google, Apple, and Spotify, and leave a rating and review if you don't mind. Here's the show. Anything on your mind financially? Financially? (laughs) I'm paying the bills, man. Paying those student loans off as soon as possible so I can make completely unbiased decisions about my life and be free. Uh, You know what I mean? Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, which which is good. I think I think that's realistic this year. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's kind of hyper. That's a little uh, you know egocentric. That's what I'm thinking about financially. Well, um, in general, show about um, locum work or being an independent contractor as a physician. We probably have not. Although I have to say, I haven't really done it yet. So it probably right. would be good to put on the back burner. Okay. I could talk about um looking for locum work. Yeah, looking for locum's work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um looking for locums is highly dependent on your subspecialty. That's one thing I've learned. So I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, Hey, how's you know, how's the job search going? Are you still thinking maybe start your own practice or whatever? And I was like, No, I'm kinda of putting that on the back burner. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at locums. And I said, Yeah, just to they're like, oh, yeah, there's probably lots of those jobs. And, I, well, it really depends. Um, she knew somebody that was an anesthesiologist, and they had done locums basically their entire life, 1099 all the time, hopping around. Yeah. And typically, if you do it your whole career, you'll do, like, you, you do end up doing longer stints, too, like nine years here, 10 years there. Uh, but regardless, in anesthesiology, it's a lot more common, and it's sort of just in and out work already. But other clinical work, it's a, it's a bit less common. So just to characterize how many I've seen while keeping my, my ears open for opportunities over the last year, I've only seen like six ish come up. Um, and you get, you know, that they're, you know, really legitimate opportunities, especially when you've, if you signed up for like multiple locums companies, they'll all email you if there's one that's like really like broad or like really looking for something. Yeah. So if you're counting those plus like one or two extra, there's only been about six that I've seen for ophthalmology in the last year. So okay. they're not, 
incredibly common. Hmm. Um, Is it more common so, than other specialties, do you think? Yeah, it's just if you can plug in and out really easily, yeah. uh, then it's fine. And then the more hospital-based it is, it seems like the more likely because they can credential you. Uh, basically, they have to set you up to be able to get paid through the insurance. And they can yeah. kind of, I think, my understanding is that like a radiologist who's sitting in a dark room can just show up and work eight to five or whatever just for your chest x-rays. Mm-hmm. And they can just filter if you're not, you know, um, credentialed with all of them, you're at least going to be credentialed for Medicare, which a ton of people will have. Oh, sure. So start. They, they can have you just see those patients. You know, they can yeah. filter that stuff. Or I wonder um, if they can float yeah. you for a while until you get credentialed too. There's some of that. They can, um, if you're seeing patients that you're not credentialed with, though, the hospital and you will not. Basically, they're paying you a daily rate, but they'll eat the cost of you interpreting yeah. things that you're not credentialed for. So. Maybe they'll eat the cost for that a little bit. Medicare is cool because you can get signed up pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And they'll backdate your payments up to like three months. So like if someone's opening their own practice, like the first one they can get oftentimes is Medicare. Okay. And maybe some private payers. Mm-hmm. But the private payers tend to take longer, like up to three months, six months, or 12 months, depending on yeah, sure. certain parts of the country. Um, some parts are... As far as credentialing goes, some parts are so bad as to, as to say that you couldn't get it even within up to 12 months because they'll just like close off who who they're willing to credential. So they'll have, I can't remember mm-hmm. what it's called, but closed something. Yeah. So like you couldn't get it if you wanted to. And it's just like, we'll let you know when we're starting to bring in new providers and, bef- and you can't get on unless they open it back up. So man, this uh, is uh, deja it's crazy. I- when I was a therapist, I went through some of that because I had to get credentials oh, yeah, yeah. from insurance companies. And there were, when I was doing it, there were a couple that were closed at the time to therapists and certain areas or whatever. And so I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And I remember getting, yeah, Medicare was pretty easy to see. There were a couple other, like, um, I never got credentialed with Blue Cross. I wasn't doing mm-hmm. it that long, just two or three years, but um mm-hmm. I would have eventually, but it was just, eh, you know, it's like you didn't, and then you started getting enough patients through the other carriers, and it was just like, yeah. it was fine. I wasn't going to hustle too much on that, but yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that process. Yeah. And Medicare, it, it depends, but like, um, they, they're pretty good about paying. I mean, they're pretty, and, and it's really the private payers that can be a little bit more difficult. Than, so than when it comes to locum work, then um, you... I don't know when our last our listeners knew you were working, maybe, maybe not, but um, can you bring our listeners up to speed a little bit about what you've been doing? What's your mindset behind the locum work? Maybe what's, how does it fit into your long-term goals, aspirations, like career trajectory? What's. Sure. Yeah. 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 So um, I started looking at locums for the first time, like a year ago um, during coronavirus. Um, I was in a practice that I knew wasn't good fit and uh i started looking to right now at the time of recording it's uh mid-april and i was starting to look pretty much right around the same time a year ago um so i started looking in knowing that i i kind of thought i knew what i wanted in the next practice so i'm a young associate mm-hmm. and i knew some of the things i didn't want 
uh, and you kind of collect those a little bit easier than you collect what you do want. Like the things that you do want to be a little bit more vague sure. is another thing that I've realized. So you do want like ethic, good ethics. Do you want to have patient priority? And these are not just like talking points. It's like legitimately like, what are you going to do this for? If you're not doing it for a couple, you know, those important reasons, it's foundational. Right. right. And then you want to also have a good business. If you're looking at private practice, you're looking at the business factor too, because that should be one of the reasons you're involved in private practice or if there's not an academic place around, but academics will take care of so many of those details. If you don't really care how much you make, there's certainly an easier way to, to find the ethics and the quality um, of care because you're going to have more resources at university too. Absolutely. So anyway, I was looking at locums, because I thought it'd be good uh, transitionary period to, to look at either. I didn't know any of the, any of the ropes for building a practice and learning. And I was just starting to read books yep. and realizing like, Holy smokes, there's like a lot that goes into this. anybody who's in solo practice. Like that's impressive. It's, yeah. it's a lot to undertake just to get the ball rolling. And then you've got the stress and the pressure of succeeding or failing or right. how am I going to find patients and, and what's the timeline knowing you're going to potentially even lose money for a year or two. It's, it's such a significant decision. So I have so much respect for people that have done that. Um, and because they've been through a lot, they have a lot of, a lot to uh, pass on a lot that they've, they've learned and they're not a, they're, they enjoy sharing it with kind of the next generation. They really believe in that model. Mm. So kind of dug into that and was thinking, okay, solo is like the six month, this is like a six month um, runway yep. from when you decide to do it. Six months is a very safe amount. If you're really, really going after it, you can do it in like four, maybe. Um, so I was looking at locums as like a transitionary thing initially. Uh, and then I happened upon a different job opportunity, which was permanent and not necessarily in a place that I wanted to be uh, long term, but um, seemed like a simpatico kind of business. Yep. approach and um heard about it the connection was through uh former attending for my residency so it came like with a good kind of thumbs up um and just over a period of time it was clear that it was it was not going to probably be a good fit and there'd been there's a couple of those things where you know that someone was looking for something different than they thought they were looking for when they hired you mm-hmm. um and you just have to know that that's like part of it and be like confident in yourself that part of what you're looking for, someone else is also looking for something when they hire you and you can't know just like I didn't exactly know what I was looking for um, in this second job out of the, out of residency. Right. Um, some people, when they hire you, they also kind of don't know what they're looking for or what they want out of the end of their career. Yep. Um, so I found myself on a similar path as many other associates where you got hired in and you find um, someone was kind of planning on retiring in the near future. And that's kind of the language of it and looking for a partner very soon. Um, and then there's, there's things you find along the way. Maybe you find that someone had been there for a while and wasn't a partner or someone was there temporarily and moved along and you didn't know about them before. Those are kind of the kinds of things that, um, you know, when you talk about a contract or negotiate about a job, you want to you want to ask about those very thoroughly. Um, you can go on websites actually and look at backdated versions of websites and find people who have been um, yeah. in the practice on the website. That was nice. I skipped one 
opportunity because of finding that. Um, but yeah, so these are the different things that, that happen. And so anyways, I was in this other position for, for a short period of time, really about six months and just Mm -hmm. wasn't a good fit, um, for a number of reasons. And it's one of those things like you have to be careful how you talk about things when you've been in a job. And I do advise people, you know, know your reasons, but, um, be as positive as you can about them and no future employer wants to hear, you know, negative things when you're interviewing at your next jobs. That's absolutely true. You've got to just be positive. You got to know your worth and you don't have to, you're not worth more by putting down somebody else. Um, just basic stuff, which is challenging to do when you are, you've been driven your whole life and you've been, uh, successful in, you know, being, becoming a doctor and getting your grades and, um, getting a residency that you wanted and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you can interview well, you can have had, you know, a couple job opportunities that you didn't think were great from the start. Um, and that's, that's okay. You know, people are not going to, you're not going to lose opportunities for the future. So, you know, I picture myself at any point in the last year, if somebody would have come along and said, you don't, you, you know, how, how's the job going? Do you like it? Do you not like it? What are your thoughts? You know, it'd be that person or that my former self, like, hey, you're going to do a great job somewhere else. If you don't think it's a good fit, get going, get looking for something else. Um, there's no sense in hanging on to something that you feel like is not a good fit because there's so many practices out there. Yeah. And if you just want to take good care of patients, you're going to find a place where you can do that and not be stressed out, not feel like you're kind of bending your care plan towards a certain mentality or efficiency or cost effectiveness. Um, yeah. So those are kind of a big thought. Yeah. At what point do you, should someone look and say, okay, either this is not a good fit or this is pretty good. I, I just need to, there's something in me that I need to yeah, come to terms with or adjust or, you know, like, how do you, I agree. That? Totally. I'm somebody who like looks at themselves in the mirror and really thinks like, okay, what can I be doing differently too? Yeah. Um, I think one thing you can do if, if you find yourself in a position where you're not enjoying your job, uh, don't make any rash decisions. Number one. Yeah. Um, good. I'd say the first thing you want to do is talk to a couple mentors. If you feel like there's some things that are conflicting with you internally, you're having that mental stress of like, I don't know if this is quite the right thing, or I feel like I'm not being allowed to practice in the way that keeps my patients safe or, or whatever it might be. You know, you can, you should talk to someone who's a co-resident or a colleague or an attending and just have a confidential discussion and just say, Hey, hypothetically, if I found myself in this scenario, what what would you think about that? Like, I feel uncomfortable with it, but you know, I was, I just came out of residency and maybe I don't really know how the real world is. And, uh, you know, can you reassure me or is this something that should be a hang up for me? I should talk to my boss about, um, that's the real world. You start to have to have these conversations with your employer that are, you know, kind of uncomfortable or make you nervous. But if you can have them in a respectful, responsible manner, it's well thought out. You're not firing off 
multiple emails. I mean, if you're doing a lot of your discussion about this kind of stuff over email, do not, not expect good. to be there long. It's not going to go well. Like, yep, that, is not, that is not how you uh, make any sort of resolution to, to really anything. So yeah, that's good advice just for, I mean, yeah. that's general advice to anybody in the two thousands. Now that we're in this century, and we're yep. like, don't totally. have emotional conversations over text or email. Have yeah. Verbally. E- even I would say like, don't have any important conversations at all. If something's a pain point for you, do not have that discussion over email. I made this mistake. Yeah, and I was really fortunate because I my my first position the um, the president of the group is a pretty big group. He would just come in and say like, "Hey, like, you know, I I know you're new. You're just out of residency. You clearly driven. You want to make things better. Don't do it over email." And that was like okay. such such a great tip because I was just like, "I'm I here I am like ambitious, well intentioned. I'm like writing this long email, and I'm thinking, man, I'm getting all my thoughts." out perfectly like this is gonna be received so well yeah yeah exactly i'm like oh man they're gonna be like so glad they hired me and i was just like totally i didn't know 12 other you know ophthalmologists i didn't know you know they're gonna all read one email and potentially each person could take it differently rather than just you know having a conversation um i think that that's something that most people wouldn't do so it's probably like not advice that everybody needs, but I would just say the overarching thing for me, like a huge, I like to have action points because mm-hmm. it's just easier. Like it's just more tangible. Like here's my rule so that I can, yeah. I really want to feel good about my work and about my ethics and about my patient care. Mm-hmm. So I can easily prioritize the like urgency and importance of that above like the efficacy of my communication. And that's probably a lot of doctors, I would guess. I know that's probably why a lot of doctors butt heads with administration and hospitals, and you hear that a lot. Yeah. Um, so anyways, no email for important conversations. Maybe an email to set something up to chat about it. I mean, that's that's been one of my big takeaways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, it goes both ways, you know, so... Um, in terms of working on things, I have talked to a coach before, which I, I found was really helpful. Okay. Um, a lot of people do that. It's kind of becoming a thing now. You probably yeah, know that it kind of is. Uh, you'll see it with the physician philosopher and others like that yep. in the arena that are offering coaching. Um, is that, did you speak to someone that was physician specific? Yeah. So it was, it was, I found it incredibly helpful to talk to someone who was a physician. Okay. Uh, who had experienced burnout. I, I've definitely experienced burnout. Um, and it's just, it's helpful to have a little bit of that not like commiseration, but you're like, okay, she, the person I was talking to, she gets it, you know, like yeah. she really loves people. She really loves medicine. And like, she was not enjoying it. She also was just not vibing. Like the fit she had with her job was not good. Yeah. She didn't feel like the priorities lined up. And so she made a shift and now she loves it and she doesn't mm-hmm. do it for many hours. And she kind of figured out like, what do I need to, to want to keep doing this? Um, and the, right. that's her story. And my, my story was, you know, is, is different than hers, but the same principles come across. <clears throat> and that, one of the big, uh, yeah, go ahead. Is that somebody you think you can recommend that we could put a link like in the show notes? 
Oh, totally. Um, let me look okay. up her name real quick. I just got an email from her. She puts out great stuff. Erin Wiseman is her name. Okay. And she... I was just looking to see... She has a course called Burnt Out to Badass. Ah. <laughs> I, I haven't done that. She came out with that after... I just did a few sessions with her a couple of years ago, okay. and that was incredibly helpful. I mean, mm-hmm. so you don't have to plan on shelling out like thousands of dollars for a year or whatever it is. I just did a few and it was just like really helped me hone in on my priorities, like what I wanted, what I'm looking for. Um, and yeah. So I mean, kind of a long roundabout for, for talking about locums, but I mean, hopefully if, even if anyone just listens to this and, and is just like, Oh cool. Like there's other doctors that like, thought they knew what they wanted, right. pride themselves right. on knowing what they want that didn't know what they want, you know, and, and they're now they're looking for something different. So, um, yeah, part of what I'm looking for with locums is to try something different and see if maybe I like that version of, of medicine a little bit better. And then it provides the flexibility to keep learning about solo practice. Yeah. Uh, it, it's also a nice like try before you buy for practices. So it's sort of a non-committal, less or less committal, almost like more like dating rather than getting engaged right off the bat um, for okay. starting a new job. Because you can't know what the practice is like. You can't really know what the flow of patients is like, whether the doctor is going to share with you, you know, just the Medicare or going to share with you the premium patients. Like there's a lot of these things that can happen that can really change the dynamic of what you think you're getting. Sure. Um, and a locums really is a great way. Like if I had a solo practice, I would love to hire somebody and it's a 1099 to start. Yeah. I and then sure. they like it and I like it. Then boom, let's like mutually get more serious about the job. Now that we know we're good to go. And now it hasn't cost the practice or the hospital as much money and it hasn't cost them you know, maybe all of their time or them moving themselves or their family or something like that. So to me, it's almost like if you're going to go like first principles thinking like, how would I want to hire somebody to feel something out? Cause we're expensive. It's a huge cost. You sign a full, at least one year contract for a set amount, no matter how good or bad somebody is. Mm -hmm. It seems like an awesome way to hire. So I'm liking it just because it seems like, it's almost like if you're dating somebody and now you feel like you're, you're on the same page, you know, like yeah. you're both taking it as sure, slow you're friends as you first want. and then you yeah, take it to the yeah. next level. And yeah. Yeah. So to me, it just feels like a really like the most sort of intelligent, responsible way of looking at a new position. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited about that. No, I think that's awesome. And so it's, for you, it kind of started out as, you know, I got to get out of here. I know I don't necessarily want this. I think I want to have my own practice at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go for this kind of locums part-time, but uh, still, you know, decent money. I mean, is it the kind of money you said you're going to be doing what you're looking at right now? There's a job that's looking at seven to 10 days a month, you said? Yeah, that's right. So that's what I'm looking for. I mean, one thing that's cool about medicine in general, I mean, it's got the pros and cons, right? But if you are in uh, 
rural America, you tend to get paid more. Um, the payer mix is either higher or there's, there's just almost always you get paid a little bit more. Per oh, for sure. We've always thought it was like federal grants um, to some of these underserved areas can boost a lot of that or something. There are some of those programs, but it's mostly that there's a different multiple that Medicare pays based on uh, location. Uh, huh. Okay. Uh, it's supposed to kind of be related to living costs, I think. And I'm not really sure exactly, but it's, it has to do with that multiple, at least for the government program. Mm-hmm. But then there's certain pockets of the country too, that have like really good pension programs. Mm-hmm. Some of them be in rural areas. So that can be helpful too. Um, but anyways, that's, they call that geographic arbitrage. Yeah. And you can work in a remote area and then do locums and you can, you can make pretty good, um, money. I know, especially like if you're a radiologist and anesthesia and things like that, it can be really pretty easy to find a position. Mm-hmm. And then you can work in places that are not as necessarily going to, not going to attract as many people. And then they'll, they'll kind of pay you a little bit more just because they need radiology. And even though they're not quite making you know, as much, maybe they, an average doctor at a hospital might make like a hundred grand off them a year or more, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they'll just eat that cost because they need a radiologist, you know, and then they're going to make yeah. it up in the they know ER. We'll bring in more people eventually. Yeah. So um, all that to say, you can make a little bit more money in certain areas and um, there's a huge range for what they pay per day in ophthalmology. That was kind of an interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, and you can negotiate, but you're kind of like competing with other people for a limited number of positions. So you don't want to, okay. you know, drive too hard of a bargain or else they're just going to take guy number two for, you know, hundreds of dollars less per day, potentially if they're really price driven. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's there's varying amounts. Like, okay, I think one of the you can look at how much doctors make um, and compare the different subspecialties, and mm-hmm. clearly some more than others. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting to break that down all the way to a daily rate. And when you're looking at locums, you're looking at a daily rate of what that doctor will get paid for the work that they do. Okay, and then you have to include the fact that if you're working with a locums agency, they're going to get paid too, mm-hmm. at some sort of rate, either for the contract duration or um, I'm sure there's a few ways to do it. And then they're going to pay for your travel, for your lodging and for your, your car as well. So your rental car, so hmm. flights, rental car and, and lodging. And I, I didn't know, I don't know of any of that pay for food, but certainly some hospitals have, you know, free cafeterias and stuff. Um, yeah. So they're paying your daily rate plus all of that. So you already know that the hospital somehow is making more hiring you yeah most time they're not most positions they're not going to lose on on average generally right because they can't on average so they're paying somebody else to find you and you and all of your travel expenses so yeah i talked to a radiologist who he started hunting around he's been doing this for 25 years or so he started hunting around yeah yeah just purely locums he started hunting around for his own locums work uh not using an agency and just calling hospitals or making friends that are radiologists and asking around mm-hmm. when you do that you can cut out the middleman and meet in the middle okay so, so your per day rate's going to be higher your per day rate is going to be higher and like 
what could be better than like increasing your per day rate? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like a, a lawyer charging more per hour, like a, a substantial sure, amount for the more. same work. Yeah. But the same work, you're already going to be doing the work. It's just a, it's an interesting way of thinking about a raise in a, in a different way. Yeah. So yeah, that's something I have, have attempted a little bit. I think it's hard for ophthalmology, but if, if I was a radiologist, I would not be using a recruiter. If I was an anesthesiologist, I would not be using a recruiter. And, and certainly other high-paying yeah. subspecialists. Yeah. Like if I was a dermatologist and I did like Mohs and mm-hmm. I was just graduating and I didn't care where I lived and I wanted to be somewhere for just, I was okay with being there for two to five years. You could definitely find a hospital that doesn't have a Mohs surgeon yeah. and just call them and say, hey, would you support me in my first couple of years? And they, you could make your own deal. I mean, mm-hmm. and fellows that are real, are graduating right now yeah. that aren't doing that. Um, I know it's busy. I know it's stressful, but if you go and do that, holy smokes, I can't imagine how much more you would make in your first or second year, just being basically a free agent instead of being drafted. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would be loads, loads of money for those people. We're talking like, Easily a hundred thousand dollar raise just from looking around and finding your own thing. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, wonder if that's a because again yeah. we have residents that their their desire, their main financial goal before they talk to us, and sometimes even afterwards, is that they want to pay off their student loans first, no matter what, before they really invest. And right. um, that's certainly if they want to front load that before they really settle on their final job or maybe they want to do that before they have kids or whatever the case might be. Yeah. yeah. It's a good time to, to do that. Maybe you can aggressively pay down loans with that extra hundred grand a few years. Oh soon. yeah. I mean, some of them, when I'm saying 50 to a hundred thousand, that might be part of the daily rate. It might be part of whatever. If you're doing locums, you know, they don't really do signing bonuses, but yeah, you could call, you know, the world is your oyster. You can call places and just say, Hey, who's your, and this is what, one thing I learned is you have to know who to ask for, right? So this is like the tip of the the podcast here. Mm-hmm. Ask for the physician recruiter. You can just call the hospital. I feel like I'm giving away the secret sauce here, but <laughs> you can call the hospital. And I love, you know me, I love just like cold calling and talking yeah, to people. Yeah. <laughs> call the hospital. It doesn't matter. Talk to their operators. Say, hey, would you mind transferring me to administration? Mm-hmm. It'll transfer you to admin. Someone in admin is going to know who the physician recruiter is. Yeah. And if they don't outsource that, then, you know, fully 100%, if they have somebody that fits that type of role a little bit or some similar name, that person will love that you went straight to them rather than using a recruiter because they save money too. And they look yeah. good. Yeah. So you're helping whatever hospital you're, you're calling the person who hires you and brings you to everybody else, you're making them look good. I mean, that's a great way to get a job right there. Mm -hmm. So I found, and those people are, they're physician recruiters. So they're also like the nicest people ever. They're like, they're always like bubbly and like, they're like, Oh, let me take down your email and blah, blah, blah. And we'll let you know. And um, let me talk to so-and-so and and I'll give you a call back. And they're like actually responsive to emails because that's what they do. So, I don't know. That's if I was talking to residents, I would just say, man, like do yourself a favor, like pick a state and just start calling hospitals and 
talk to their physician recruiters and see what you can find out because, you know, doctors can do this stuff and it's not that difficult. And yeah, there's so many resources for contract negotiation now too. You know, these paid services where they really do, they look at so many contracts. You could start setting yourself up for your own thing and you're like, oh, I don't know if this is even going to be a good deal or am I making up? You just pay like under a thousand bucks and get an expert review. Okay. And now you know, like, so now you've done it yourself. It's like selling your own home, you know? Mm -hmm. So for sale by owner is like such a great way to sell your house. Learning experience, yeah. Yeah, the the buyer's agent will basically do all the work for you. That's true. Because they want the sale or else they don't get any percentage. So if somebody brings you a buyer, then you don't even have to do any work. Yeah. Or if you find somebody else who doesn't want to use an agent, you can just figure out what deal you want to make and then go to a lawyer and they write it up and it costs you like 1500 bucks. Yeah. Instead of 6-7% of the total worth of your house. Right. So there's just these like big moments where you can you know, kind of buck up and do your own work and then pay an expert to make sure you're not being an idiot. Yeah. And uh, you're going to clean up six figures pretty easily. And for a lot of people, you're halfway done with your, with your student loans at that point. Yeah, exactly. So doing, going about the process of finding it, um, once you connect with some, tell us about the interview process. Is it different than a typical interview process? It is different. Um, I would encourage people to interview just as seriously as you would for a normal interview. So like right now I didn't shave really. Um, You can see this is my preferred kind of look, but generally I don't normally have, you know, maybe half this or something. Uh But if I'm interviewing on a zoom call for a locums, which you pretty much always are, um, you know, I would shave. I would wear like a dress shirt, maybe even a, a suit coat jacket over top. So okay. take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Assume they haven't read your um, resume. I think on at least one interview, I was just kind of thinking they were going to take it as seriously as I was taking it. And I found that they didn't really, they, they emailed my, I, I interviewed with somebody and then within an hour, I got an email from my, the locums person, my agent. And he was like, hey, what about this part of your resume? Hey, what about this part of your resume? And I was like, I literally just got off the phone with them 45 <laughs> minutes ago. Why didn't they ask me? Like, that's, I thought that was the point of the, the interview, you know? Sure. But it was just funny. I, I don't know if it was a lack or of organization. Point of a resume. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was just kind of funny. I was like, oh, yeah, like, I'll totally, you know, I wrote, here's my answer. Here's my answer. Happy to hop on a call if they want to any clarification but yeah so just kind of assume they don't know give your story kind of tell them what you're looking for and then i've been reading this book and i haven't talked about this with you but it's called business made simple oh let me okay. see if it all, there we go yeah business made simple and it's by donald miller i love his stuff he's kind of like a marketing guy he used oh uh, yes the um, story uh, brand yeah story brand guy yeah so he's written a lot of just books about his own life. And then he really got into marketing maybe, maybe up to 10 years ago now and Mm -hmm. um, good stuff. But he wrote this book and it's sort of like a 60 day going through business principles. But the first like week or two is really just on your own personal development and talking about character and your values and like, what are, what are the things that matter to you that like set you apart? And 
when you develop those and they're like solidified in your mind, it's sort of like knowing your strengths. There's always a classic, like, what are your strengths? What are, what are three strengths and three weaknesses or something like that? Mm -hmm. And just knowing like yourself on the level of your character and your story and being able to communicate your story in a transparent, but still very positive way. Like, you know, no matter what, like when somebody says three strengths and three weaknesses, you don't tell them, you know, well, I'm terrible at time management and I never get anything done. And do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, those are, those are not like the types of things that you would say on an interview. You know, you wouldn't say like, I've been late, you know, sorry, I was late to this interview. Yeah. All my friends tease me about being late or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like you don't tell them the, the, your, your like worst things you want to give them the best afford, still be honest, still be transparent. But this book I, I think is really cool because it helps you prioritize like real things that make a difference that like enhance mm-hmm. your leadership skills. And um, I'll have to check that out. Great. That's sweet. We'll yeah. put a link in the show notes to that. That's yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really good. I've enjoyed it I'm about okay. like three weeks into it and they're really short. It's kind of the, it's kind of book you read it and you're like, I knew that. But now it's organized and it like you get that like mental framework. Yep. Yeah. Good. So you go through the interview, um, take it seriously, even though they may not necessarily appear to or read your resume beforehand. Um, So when you get a job offer from somewhere, what does that look like typically? What's what are some different things about that with Locum? Yeah, for locums, that is different. So um, you get an offer. Uh, basically, you just get a mess. If you work with a recruiter, you just kind of get like a message like, hey, they're like good to go to move forward. And you're like, okay, cool. I haven't done this before. What does that mean? You know, like, like oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. And they're basically like, well, we got to get you licensed in the state. Yep. And that can take however long. Um, this is a cool thing. Now they have something called a letter of qualification. And okay. you can apply for this letter. You apply actually within your own state, but you mm-hmm. use a interstate medical licensing something, IMLCC nice. credentialing center or something. Okay. IMLCC.com, I think is the website. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you pay a pretty decent amount of money. I think it's $700 or 800 mm-hmm. And the state that you're in verifies, okay, yeah, like you're good to go. You have no malpractice claims. You have no uh, background issues. You do like a fingerprinting. They give you a letter and then you can, with a comp, they have like an agreement or a compact with like 30-ish states in the U.S. So mostly yep. Midwest, North, Northern, uh, and Eastern states. Okay. You can like get a license within... 10 days is kind of like long, but they, they can get them usually within 48 hours. Hmm. And that tends to be a rate limiting step for a lot of states with getting yeah. credentialed. So the locums agency, if it's a good one, they'll, they'll pay for that. So you don't have to do it yourself. Yep. You just have an out of pocket expense and you maybe do or don't get a, a position. And then um, you get the state license and they kind of like walk you through it. Sort of. It's if, anyone has applied to a hospital for credentialing. Typically it's like, Oh yeah, we'll help you with all this. We'll take care of it. And then some hospitals will like fill out everything for you. You'll send them a resume. They'll fill it all out. And you just kind of look it over and sign. And then some hospitals will be like, 
we'll take care of it all for you. And they send you a link and a code to log in. And then you have to fill out like everything yourself. And it sounds like a silly thing to complain about. But if you're do- if you move to a big city, and you're doing like four or five of these. It like, it's a lot. Like it's one of those things that like solo doctors, um, they spend a lot of their time on paperwork because they don't have somebody who does it for them. Um, so anyways, they'll, they'll kind of help you with that. They make sure you have it all done. Um, but you still have to be sitting down signing PDFs like every other day for a month or so. Uh, getting a, a home loan. They're like, don't worry. We just need three documents for you from you. The last you, one. You've gotten a home before. Yeah. This is the last one yep. every day for 30 days. You know what I mean? So it's not quite as bad as like the like Quicken loans, home loan process or something. Yeah. It's, it still ends up being, you know, it's always like one more thing and, Oh, can we get a little more detail on this or, um, you know, that date doesn't line up with that. And you're like, Oh, it turns out it was a typo, you know, something. So it's, it, that's kind of the process. So they kind of give you just like a thumbs up and then you just start the credentialing process just like you would with a regular job. Um, the big difference is your 1099, they do cover your malpractice um, yeah, that's and with your tail. So you don't have to pay like five grand, 10 grand at the end of the contract. It's just mm-hmm. all included, capped off, specific to that location. So you can't work locums one place and then start doing another one and expect or like range your own or work in your practice and have that malpractice cover you. It just covers your job there. Yep. Um, I read all my contracts. I read them very thoroughly myself. Mm-hmm. I would encourage all doctors to do that. It's, it's yep. kind of a headache. It's kind of a pain. You feel like you don't know what you're reading. You read it once. If you feel like it was confusing, take a day off, read it again. Yep. It's, it's set in plain English because it has to be pretty easily understandable by all parties right? The, to hold up in a court of law. So like if you're a doctor and you read it twice, you're going to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to know what you don't know, but if it's a hospital system, a lot of people have signed it and then you can get a contract person to review it or a lawyer to review it. It shouldn't mm-hmm. cost more than a thousand dollars. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's that's kind of been my process. And then don't be afraid to hunt around. Don't be afraid to turn things down. You know, just because yeah. you're doing locum doesn't mean you have to take the first thing that comes along. Good point. Um, yeah. I've turned down three, four opportunities that I'm sure I would have gotten if I would have taken their stated like introductory rate, right. um, daily rate. And I was just like, that's just not enough for me to want to fly out and do this and that. And, you know, the hospital is going to try to get the lowest amount. And um, if you're not getting paid for call and you're going to take call, like that's kind of crazy. Like I would definitely get paid for call. Um, You're giving up your time, even though you're there just for the job, potentially if you're traveling for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Value your time. It's, it's hard to do when you're looking for something. Uh, But just know your worth, value your time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to find a job that you like. Um, and it might be from that locum shop and it might not be, but find something that really compensates you at a level that you think is reasonable. Um, That's good. I have one other thought on the finance part. 
Uh, I would also recommend just doing some simple math on what you get paid if you were getting paid for a permanent position there. So keep in mind, you're going to have travel days on each end. Okay. And so you're really losing a couple days potentially, depending on how far you have to go. So if you're working seven days, let's say you get paid the same amount. Um, So let's say you get paid and this would be on a low, but let's say you get 1500 and you work seven days, the same rate. And it might be less on weekends. You know, if you're not seeing patients, that'd be $10,500. Okay. So, and you've lost two days, you know, so the travel time back and forth ish, especially if there's a time change or something, mm-hmm. but let's just say you worked that job permanently and you were there, you know, $10,500 for seven days. And you multiply that by four. So that's 42,000 a month multiply by uh, 12 months. And then that'd be $500,000. Okay. So that's like really good, right? $500,000, but really you wouldn't work that much and they're kind of paying you for the time of the, of the travel. And 1500 is, is pretty good um, for ophthalmology potentially. Yeah. And you wouldn't be getting paid for those weekend days. So if you're getting paid like 400, 450 and you're traveling to somewhere that's not, you know, cream of the crop location, it's not Chicago or Denver mm-hmm. or LA or something. Yeah. You're getting paid pretty well for that time. But you know, if you cut out some of those days and then you're down like 20%, you're at like 350, 400,000. If you take a job for 300,000 in a city that you like better and you're okay working permanently and for somebody else and all that stuff lines up or you find the perfect practice and mm-hmm. you know whatever is it worth an extra you know $50,000 potential amount you just have to kind of weigh that out so i like to look at it both on a daily rate and like a, i'm traveling and losing a little bit of time yeah. perspective. And then I look at it from like an annual rate too, because that you don't know how to price out, like how much is my daily rate worth? Because most doctors have never thought about that before. No, it's true. Yeah. So if you're switching, you can take your current salary and then divide it down for, you know, just, if you're going to just work weekdays, you can divide it down and just look at that. But if you're going to work uh, 14 days and they're not going to pay for the weekend in between, Mm-hmm. Kind of like losing some time. So you just have to look at all those factors and it ends up being simple multiplication most of the time. And just remembering to factor in, oh, I would have taken vacation. So, you know, really you'd want to multiply that by like 10 months because you yeah. probably would have taken four to eight weeks of vacation. So that would be 400,000. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, this is this. per day rate makes pretty good sense. But $1,200 per day definitely does not. That's kind of like, you know, you could find a part-time job in a, in a city or in a lot of different places potentially Mm -hmm. um, and make 200,000 per year. So it's good to, it's just an attempt to compare apples to apples. Yep. No, definitely. I think which goes back to the, you know, don't necessarily jump at it right away. You don't always have to take the first job, take your time, um, both getting a job and leaving a job, you know, which again, 
sure. this is true in investing or job choices or anything, but don't base any decisions on any one point in time. You know, mm -hmm. it's um, patience is power is what I tell my kids. Totally. <clears throat> yeah. Unless you're in like a, a horrendous scenario that, you know, you just have to get out of. Sure. Uh, there's the exception to that. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those definitely exist in medicine. So I would never, you know, judge anybody who departed from something quickly, mm -hmm. uh, just knowing that those scenarios happen. There's personal things that happen. People have to step away for whatever. Yeah. Um, but really three months, six months, like you might know at like one month, but you can wait another month and then yeah. you can, and then you're going to start looking and it's going to take you most time. Most of the time it's going to take you a good three months to find something, especially sorting out between a few good opportunities to find the great opportunity. Yeah. So if it's not a big hurry or urgent, try to save up some cash for that gap. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's one of the reasons you want to have an emergency fund of at least three months. Yep. Totally true. Okay. Well, I think that's about our time for today. Um, I think that was super helpful. We got some great stuff out of that. Hopefully there's things that uh, listeners can take, whether they take action on it now, whether they never do anything with locums, whether they're thinking yeah. about it or they can use it in the future. This is going to be a great resource. and. Uh, really appreciate your time and, and letting us learn from your experiences instead of having to learn the hard way. Totally. Happy to help. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody has any questions, they can email me at tsmith at financialmd.com um, or my other email is trevorsmithmd at gmail.com. I'm happy to reply and just on a, on a personal level or professional level. If you have any questions, happy to, to, um, to chat with you so awesome all right well uh everyone we'll see you next time on our next episode in the meantime be sure to get out to the financial md community uh that's the facebook group that's specifically designed for physicians by physicians to ask questions to start some conversations we post articles and tips and things there um get out to our youtube channel subscribe to our weekly didactic minute video where we put out little two minute tips of uh personal finance things that pertain to U.S. physicians. And uh, other than that, we'll see you next time on the Financial MD Show. Awesome. Thanks, John. Thanks for joining us for another Financial MD Show. Be sure to head over to FinancialMD.com to get more in-depth resources on financial tips for physicians. And don't forget to join the Financial MD Community Group on Facebook, where physicians at all stages of their career gather to share tips and get ideas on achieving true financial success. We'll see you next time. The Financial MD Show is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to invest, is not financial, tax, or legal advice. Be sure to seek financial, legal, or tax professionals when making any financial decisions. Before investing, you should make sure that any investment strategy or investment meets your individual investment needs, goals, and objectives. Financial MD makes no claims or guarantees to individual investment performance. All investing involves the risk of loss as well as the potential for gain.